We are back for another edition of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health. We have an OBGYN in studio with us, Dr. Brianne Brandt-Griffith. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have you. You specialize in menopause, and I want to kind of hear about how you chose that specialty. Um, but before we dive in, can you kind of talk about why you went into healthcare and why you chose that as your path? So throughout my whole life, I've always been kind of driven to go into something healthcare related. I was extremely afraid of the of of doctors and doctor offices when I was a child. And I met my family physician at the age of eight who just made me feel so comfortable and not scared about the procedures that were going to happen. And since that time, I thought to myself, I really want to change people's lives and change their perceptions about medical care. As I progressed through you know, high school, college, I really was more interested in women's health. I feel like women's health doesn't get talked about a lot. I feel like a lot of the care out there, uh, research studies, medications are all kind of driven towards um, our male population. And there's not a lot of studies out there supporting uh, women's health or uh, women's minority health for that matter. Um, And so this has always been a field that I've been very passionate about. I also was a domestic violence abuse counselor when I was in college, and that kind of further drove me into women's health. So we all know what an OBGYN does, but you specialize in menopause. So how does that affect your day-to-day? Like, how is it different than that of an OBGYN? So the reason that I chose to get an extra specialization in menopause, and it's called the North American Menopause Society, you actually do reading and uh, take a test in order to be uh, certified as a NAMS provider. The reason that I chose this or chose to do it is because of my own journey. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019 at the age of 39. And at this time, I had to go through chemotherapy, uh, double mastectomy and then radiation. Well, when I was done with my entire year of treatment, I was thrown into menopause. And not only did I have the side effects from all the treatment I had, but now I was experiencing things that I didn't fully understand myself. And I started trying to find treatment options. I not only asked a bunch of people, asked my oncologist, and there seemed like there was this huge gap that their, you know, perimenopause and menopausal women, it was a lot of people didn't, didn't know what to do, didn't know what was out there. And so I took it upon myself to not only research this for my own health, but for all the women of our community. So you being a doctor, you obviously know so much. You've had this long education and you were still kind of not taken off guard by the fact that you, you know, went into menopause. But so I can only imagine what like an, the average person, you know, who goes through that would feel like. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew what to expect. I had previously talked to patients about what symptoms were out there for menopause really taking that NAM certification opened my eyes even more. And everything that I read about, I was like, oh yeah, I have that. Oh yeah, I have that. And like I said, there was this huge gap. Nobody knew it was kind of trial and error about, oh, you could try this medication or uh, try this medication, a bunch of wives tales, um, a lot of over-the-counter medications that aren't regulated. And so I just started kind of delving into that research myself. Uh, That's how I, you know, gain the knowledge that I have in menopause. But also the the hard thing is that as a physician anyway, if you don't ask the right questions, you won't get those answers. Right. And nobody was asking me those questions. Luckily, I was asking myself those questions. But that's what I try to bring into my own practice is I'm asking about things that women don't normally bring up. And sometimes women, I'm speaking for myself, you know, we might not know what to ask or we might be like scared to ask because we don't want the answer or maybe we just don't 
don't even know what to ask. I think as women, we think that this is just a phase of life. Mm -hmm. Like we have to go through it. Women have been doing it for centuries. So my mom had terrible hot flashes. Why, why should I get a medication to treat my hot flashes? You know, this is just kind of a rite of passage. Well, you know, modern medicine is wonderful and we don't need to suffer these ways. The word hysterectomy comes from hysteria. They thought women were hysterical. And so they're going to remove the history, hysteria, which is the uterus. And so this is kind of how medicine has made this progression where we can ask about urination. We can ask about sex. We can ask about orgasm. We can ask about these these topics that our mothers or maybe our grandmothers, it was totally taboo to talk about. Yeah, I do feel like it's come a long way. So you kind of touched on this. People come and see you if they're going through menopause, but what other reasons would somebody going through menopause come to see you for? So typically women start to have that change of life in their 40s. And I always tell women, you know, when your period's starting, when you're in your teens, it's kind of all over the place. You can have really painful cramps, heavy bleeding. It's irregular. Um, And this is the most common time that I'm starting like a birth control to help regulate periods. Well, when you're in your 40s, I think about it as a bag of marbles. Your ovaries have a bag of marbles. And when you get to that, you know, empty bag, basically, that's when menopause hits. But until that point, those marbles or those eggs, you're running out of them. And therefore, you start having either closer periods, delayed periods, more cramping, more bleeding, maybe less. And they're just kind of all over the place. Um, And because of these hormonal changes, because you're not making the same amount of estrogen and progesterone that you did in your 20s and 30s out of your ovaries, uh, you start having other symptoms associated with that. So are we talking low 40s, upper 40s, or does it kind of just depend? Is there like an average age? So perimenopause, which is before menopause. Now, menopause is defined as 12 months without a period. Unfortunately, there's no way to tell if you're still having a menstrual cycle if menopause is coming in the next year. Is it coming in the next six months? We can only diagnose you retrospectively. So some changes that can show us that, yep, you're heading through this transition, increased irritability, mood changes, decreased libido, hot flashes, which is, you know, everybody knows about hot flashes. Most women have talked about that. Changes in urination. So increased frequency, feel like you have a urinary tract infection. Other things that women don't think about is joint pain. We have estrogen receptors in our joints and it helps with lubrication. And as you transition into menopause, you can get joint pain. can also get hair thinning. A lot of women notice this in their 40s that their hair starts to thin. And then other things are eye changes and, and weight gain. So a lot of women will notice that, okay, now my weight has shifted from like my legs and my upper arms to my abdomen. And that's because estrogen protects women from putting on that bad fat, which is around the belly, because that's the fat that coats our organs. I, we always complain about our cheesy thighs or our, uh, as my mom calls them, her bat wing arms. Um, but that is actually fat that's not harmful for you. Um, that's on the outside of the muscle and it's not coating organs and it's actually good fat. Uh, the bad fat is around the belly. So a lot of those things can also be related to other things. So are there any like surefire signs to tell that you're going through menopause? Because I know some people might have like joint pain in general, or maybe they're already gaining weight, you know, just because when you hit your 30s, your metabolism slows down. So what are some maybe other ways that you can tell that it's menopause? There's not really, I mean, a lot of diseases overlap with menopause. Mm -hmm. So thyroid disease, uh, Cushing's, uh, adrenal gland disease, um, diabetes, uh, metabolic syndrome, like polycystic 
polycystic ovarian syndrome. So all of these can overlap and it's just kind of checking labs. So you want to rule out the ones that you can You rule out thyroid disease. You can rule out Cushing's. You could look at some of the uh, hormonal levels in a woman's body to look and see, are you producing too much testosterone? You know, I have a lot of women that come in and want their hormone levels checked and they want to see what their estrogen and progesterone and FSH, which is called follicular stimulating hormone. That's the one that after menopause is very high. So if you haven't had a period in eight, 10 months and you're just, you know, curious or we're trying to rule something else out and that level is super high, that would signify potential menopause. But they want their hormones checked. And the hard part is that if you are still having periods, those hormone levels change day by day. So it depends on where you're at in your cycle. If your cycle's irregular, it makes it very challenging to kind of line up where should you be at at this time of your menstrual cycle. Um, So we try to, I guess, balance those hormones. And typically it's by adding in some sort of medication to help regulate that. So there are things that you can do when you start going through menopause to kind of lessen those symptoms. Yes. So those symptoms start, you know, in the 40s. And for some women, they have very intense symptoms and other women they don't even know that they went into menopause. If these symptoms start happening before the age of 40, this is concerning. This would be called uh, premature ovarian failure. So if you're not having regular menstrual cycles prior to the age of 40, then you definitely need to come be checked out. How common is that? Not very common. Um, It only is about 1% of the female population, but it can run in families. A lot of times we'll discover it when we're looking for reasons why women have difficulty with fertility. But it's very important to get checked out because under the age of 40, if you don't make estrogen and progesterone, then your bones can really suffer and you can develop osteoporosis. Is there anything that like women, maybe my age, I'm 31, can do to prevent that? Or is that something that, like you said, just runs in families? There's nothing to do to prevent premature ovarian failure. Um, Like I said, it's very uncommon. And so it's not something I think the average person needs to worry about. I think the most protective thing in your 30s is A, start having these conversations with your medical provider or your friends or, you know, family. And like you mentioned before, our metabolism slow down in our 30s. So at the age of 35, our metabolism slows down. We start losing lean muscle mass and we start not processing sugar as well as women. And so these three hits are what causes us to gain more weight into our 40s. And that's because we don't have those large muscle groups burning lots of calories. And then where our metabolism is very slow. Uh, and then if we have excess sugar and, you know, we all love junk food. I love junk mm-hmm. food too. Yep. And I try to regulate it, you know, try not to deprive myself of that. Just having a little bit every day. You know, I love dark chocolate, so I'll put it in the freezer and be able to suck on it longer than just eating it. Mm-hmm. But uh, we definitely don't process sugar as well. One other thing that I would mention is that I think as women, we get the wrong message when it comes to exercise. Our message is aerobics, 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 aerobics. We do, you know, it's always been like step aerobics and fit aerobics and hit aerobics. But for women, really, we need to start weightlifting. Mm -hmm. We need to start doing those body weight exercises, uh, Pleiades, yoga, or just getting in the gym and learning how to use weights because that is what makes those muscles bigger and that's what burns more calories.
calories. I think aerobics is great, but that's not going to be enough to help with the metabolism and the calories. Yeah. And some people, some women struggle with that their whole life. You know, I'm only 31. I feel like my metabolism has really started to slow down already. So for somebody going through menopause, are there lifestyle things they can do to help reduce symptoms of that? Like I know you mentioned weight training and stuff, but are there just any basic things that they can do? Getting out and walking and moving every day. Um, You know, there was a recent study that suggested that if you get 7,000 steps a day, that that can really be helpful. Really, the other thing too, and and it's hard to put into practice, is that we need to reduce our calorie intake. Mm -hmm. Because our metabolism is getting so slow, usually as we age, we need less and less calories. Now, what that means for each person is different. Mm -hmm. I would highly recommend meeting, if you can, uh, asking your physician and meeting with a nutritionist. There's no diet that's right for every single person. You have to find the one that works for your body. For Mm -hmm. some women, it's keto. For some women, it's intermittent fasting. For some women, it's, you know, doing vegetarian. And so meeting with a nutritionist is awesome. I also think meeting with, if you can, uh, a personal trainer just to be educated on what do the, what does this equipment do in the gym? How can I not only build muscle, but protect myself from injury? Yeah. The interesting thing is that the risks to women as we age, our number one reason of dying is cardiovascular disease. Our second is falling. You fall, you break a hip because your bones are are brittle and you end up in a nursing home. And within a, within that um, admission to a nursing home, that 20% of women will die within a year. So we need to make changes now when we're younger to help prevent that. And that includes weight training. And it's not, you don't need to go into the gym and pump 200 pounds of chest press. Right. This is just like getting these muscles stabilized, training not only the front of your body, but the back of your body. I have a trainer myself and she trains an 80 year old woman. This woman is still in her own home. And it's all about fall, uh, risk reduction, balance, you know, and those types of things. And so I think it's important in all age groups. Yeah, I think even like you just said, every age group should try to be as healthy as they can. You know, don't just wait until you're in your 40s and your 50s. Obviously, easier said than done. But what are some medical treatments you guys use to treat like menopause or very severe symptoms? So just to to recap, um, the average age of menopause in our country is about 51 to 52. So about 80%, 80 to 90% of women will have gone through menopause around that time. By the age of 55, 99% of women have gone through menopause. So that's kind of the age group where, you know, your period should definitely stop. So for these symptoms, it really depends on your risk factors. So if you don't have a lot of risk factors and risk factors would include like, um, I have uncontrolled hypertension, um, a history of some sort of bad blood clot. I've had some sort of estrogen containing tumor. Uh, such as breast cancer, a history of a stroke. Those are, you know, some high risk reasons why you wouldn't qualify for what we call a menopause hormone therapy. And so menopause hormone therapy is at much more reduced amounts than we use for birth controls. So typically during the transition time, I will use some sort of low dose birth control because women's bodies are still seeing that type of estrogen and that that level of estrogen and progesterone. When they make that transition through menopause, then we can lower the dose because they don't need as high of hormone levels to help regulate the ovulation and the dysfunction around that. So if you qualify for hormone replacement therapy, I think that is the number one gold standard for the best type of treatment. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, we have estrogen receptors in our bladders. We have them in our vaginas, in our joints, in our hearts. This is why cardiovascular 
cardiovascular disease increases for women after menopause. We also have them in our brain. A lot of women will talk about brain fog, um, and this is due to lack of estrogen as well. And so if we add that estrogen back, we're going to help with all of those symptoms. You know, each individual person reacts to medications differently. And luckily we have oral estrogen. That's where you take it by mouth. We have patches. So you absorb it through your skin. We have creams that you just rub on your skin. We have a spray. Uh, There's also vaginal um, estrogen. So there's a multitude of different estrogens and progesterones we can use to help with these symptoms. Now, I would say for all you who are listening, the number one thing is if you have a uterus, if you have not had a hysterectomy, you need progesterone. And because estrogen alone can increase your risk of uterine cancer. And if you don't have that progesterone there, then the estrogen just keeps building that lining in the uterus. And we want to help shed that lining so you don't have that increased risk. So say you don't qualify for estrogen or hormone replacement therapy. And I look at myself as an example. I do not qualify for uh, hormone replacement therapy due to my estrogen containing breast cancer. So then you start treating each of the individual symptoms. There's not one big medication that's going to help with all of it. Um, So for uh, hot flashes, which are usually the number one thing that women are coming to me about, an interruption of sleep because of night sweats, uh, you can use selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Most people will know these as the antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications, but you can use these for hot flashes, night disturbances, uh, mood disorders of of, uh, menopause. About 50% of women will experience some sort of depression and anxiety during menopause. So that's very good for that. For, you know, if you're having a lot of joint pain, uh, there's uh, over-the-counter glucosamine, which has been shown to be a little bit of a benefit, a turmeric, uh, anti-inflammatory diet, and movement, getting up, stretching every day, you know, getting your walk in, even if your joints are, are painful. For brain fog, that's a difficult one. Uh, There isn't like a a great medication to help with that. But, you know, uh, reading, doing those Sudoku exercises, just keeping your brain active. I have word finding difficulties and I don't know if it's from chemotherapy or if it's from menopause, but I just explained to my patients, I'm like, oh, menopause brain or chemo brain. Uh, And then they laugh with me. So kind of keeping it, you know, on the lighter side, don't don't, uh, put yourself down. Well, I've learned so much. I know we're going to have back for another episode in the future. But in the meantime, thank you so much. I learned so much and I really enjoyed having you as a guest on the Real Talk and Women's Health podcast with Essential Health.